I am speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Health Canada approved a new COVID-19 bivalent vaccine booster from Moderna earlier this month. The updated shot builds on the original vaccine by adding protection specifically against the Omicron variant. It'll be rolling out across the country this fall. So this week we're asking, what do I need to know about the bivalent COVID-19 booster? Hi, Lenora. Welcome back to The Dose. Hello to yourself. These are very early days, but have you gotten the new booster yet? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, the rollout in Alberta has been, I mean, I think they're just kind of planning out the parameters, honestly. I would expect it'll be quite soon. And I'd been playing the waiting game in August where I was trying to decide whether I would get the currently available booster versus uh, versus uh, wait and see when the bivalent would be approved. Um, and so far, I'm still in that position. So lots of interest in the new vaccine and lots of questions about it. But before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, as usual, tell us what you do and where you do it. Just ad lib. Hello, uh, it's Dr. Lenora Saxinger. I'm an infectious diseases specialist at the University of Alberta. And let's begin our conversation. What are the essential differences between this new bivalent booster and the boosters we've been getting for the past year? So the, uh, the new booster is basically half of the familiar um, vaccine. So half of it is the original vaccine, and then the other half is tuned towards the Omicron lineage, the BA1 lineage. And so it actually just has changes in the coding of the, uh, of the mRNA that is given. So you're kind of training half to the old stuff and half to the new stuff. You know, we've, we've heard since the beginning of the pandemic that, uh, that COVID keeps mutating. We keep getting new variants and subvariants. Why have the old one, the old classic uh, vaccine in there in this new booster? I think there might be a few different reasons for that. Um, part of it is hedging your bets because we don't really know what's going to be coming up next and what the, you know, the, the configuration of any new variants arising might be. Part of it is because, you know, so far our immune systems have largely been trained through vaccines to the original strain. And we know that the original strain, when you give another dose, does still boost quite a bit against the current, current circulating strains. And I think that there are some studies ongoing right now that would be looking at including um, like just monovalent, which would just mean the one type of new strains in upcoming boosters. But it's unclear how well those vaccines will actually boost someone who's had the original strain vaccine before. And so there's just some questions. And I think that this is kind of hitting a, a compromise spot. There's a possibility that, you know, the way that the immune system is is trained to the vaccines initially, um, it's a bit unpredictable whether or not boosting with an entirely new vaccine will get us the same result. So we're, we're kind of learning as we go. And yet at the same time, we have a really solid basis of immunology behind it as well. And that solid basis says that the classic uh, vaccine would still provide some benefit today. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I mean, I have to point out that 
all of the third and fourth dose studies that support giving more doses have been with the original vaccine. And so the only human outcome data that we have with boosters is with the original vaccine. And that's where the benefits were seen. So it's, you know, it's basically um, inferring from those that, you know, a more variant tuned booster will do a better job. And there's immunologic reason to believe it, but we don't have the same level of data for these yet. So we're kind of moving almost to a position that's like influenza shots where the, uh, you know, the overall vaccine structure delivery and everything else is very well known, but there's minor tweaks to try to adjust for circulating strains. And so that's kind of the first year that we're trying this approach, essentially. Omicron has been around for a little less than a year now, and there have been newer subvariants since it was first detected. So what's in the new booster? Well, the one that's been approved, it was approved first in the UK, then in Canada, is the BA1, which was the first Omicron before we knew that we'd have to be naming more Omicrons, which seems like so long ago. And then the, um, the US made an interesting move where they basically looked at the data for the vaccine that we're going to be using here in Canada and asked the companies to actually retool that for the circulating dominantly BA5 strain. And so the amount of data that they have for the vaccine that's being used in the U.S. right now is really very lab-based. Um, there's even less human data for that for that vaccine because they were basically hedging their bets one step further and saying we want we want to see if we can tune it further to the circulating strain. Now you know whether which tactic ends up being right, I think is they're probably both going to be right because we're not quite sure, especially from antibody studies, whether the fairly small differences in the antibody boost between these different products really translates into a whole lot in the real world. And both of them, and even the original vaccine, all do boost antibody levels against the current strains as well. So I think that um, there's a lot of benefit to be had from having an Omicron lineage-specific vaccine. The differences between the vaccines remains to be seen and the other piece, of course, is if a new variant comes forward with mutations more similar to what's in the BA1 vaccine, then that would offer a relative advantage. So there's always going to be some uncertainty, I think, when we're dealing with this. But uh, suffice it to say for the moment that the the new bivalent booster that's been approved in Canada is based on the BA1 Omicron variant. So how effective is this new bivalent booster as far as we know? Well, we, the, the only data that we really have is two different types of data. One is we know that any booster, so if you had your fourth dose already, don't worry, it wasn't wasted. It's still good. It's still boosted your ant levels. We know that any booster for a third or fourth dose significantly increases protection with the original strain. For the BA1 vaccine, um, the data that's available is human antibody level data. And it's actually quite good. I mean, it really does provide a bigger boost against the Omicron strains, not just BA1, but it also provides a good boost against BA4-5. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's noticeably better in that regard in terms of antibody levels. And usually in the past, antibody levels, although there's not like a cutoff where you can say, this is your antibody level and you're fine. But, you know, on a, on a population basis, especially, we know that increasing the antibody level during times of higher risk is going to protect people better. So um, so we have good human antibody data for the BA1 that actually led to, like I said, its approval in the UK and in Canada, even when BA5 was already circulating, because we could see there was a good response for BA5. And then there's more limited data for the, for the US version of the vaccine, the newest one, 
where they mostly have most data that they're running on. So it's, it, it depends on how you weigh the different pieces. But uh, I think that the other piece that's really important about the Omicron vaccines is that, you know, between 40 and 60% of the population of Canada by serology studies was infected by Omicron in the first part of 2022. So that's a lot of people who kind of self-boosted, essentially, whether they had two or three doses of vaccine, that infection would act as a self-boost. And I think that there is reason to hope and expect that an Omicron-specific booster will specifically raise antibodies that you've already kind of introduced. It's almost like your second dose consolidation for an infection. And that might offer some additional protection that would help reduce the risk of those kind of quiet infections and transmission, which is a big concern right now because a lot of people are getting very mild infections and can transmit the disease without really knowing it. But we have this patchy situation where there's still a number of people who are at risk of very severe disease. And so the goal of having great antibody levels and reducing infection and transmission during the fall and winter is a really important one. So the new booster boosts antibody levels. Does it keep me from getting Omicron? <laughs> it's kind of a little <laughs> I knew I was going to stop you there. I was kind of going, well, as I was saying, um, there is not vaccine effectiveness outcome data yet with any of the Omicron uh, boosters. It's actually being collected as we speak. So the initial trials of the new formulations, they basically gave it to a bunch of people and followed their antibody levels. And now they're following them to see if they get infected. And you need to have a certain number of infections within that cohort of people in the study to be able to say whether it works or not. And so I'm not sure exactly when we'll get those results, but the results will not come until we're partway through vaccine rollout. I think, however, that, you know, it's it's been well shown that these are safe, effective vaccine platforms, by which I mean the whole delivery system and everything else. The, the tweaks to the recipe, so to speak, um, have been shown in mice and humans to result in a higher antibody level. And we've also seen in multiple studies that, you know, across populations, higher antibody levels translate to lower risk. And when we look at the booster data, even for, like I said, original strain um, vaccines, they really, I mean, the, the dose two vaccine effectiveness against death in the latest UK data, which I tend to look at because it more mimics the Canadian situation. Um, let's see, against death for age 50 plus, dose two vaccine effectiveness is 48%. And dose three vaccine effectiveness is basically 90 to 95%. And so we know that those extra doses mean a lot in the Omicron era as well. So we're looking for an incremental better response. There's some people that would say that the new vaccines are probably not going to make as much a difference as just getting a booster. Um, and I think other people are more hopeful that the tuning of the vaccines um, recipe will actually result in a bigger benefit. And that remains unclear. It, it, it remains clear, though, that getting uh, the newest booster, just as getting the, the classic booster, will help keep you out of hospital and keep you from having the most serious complications of, of COVID, including dying. Exactly. I mean, I, I think that it, it has to be said that a booster is the main goal for the fall. Which booster, it's hard to know how much benefit there will be vers from the original versus the BA1 vers versus the BA5. And you might expect potentially that you'd see better effectiveness with the Omicron-specific variant um, vaccines 
especially the ones that are mo most highly tuned to the circulating variants. But we actually don't know how much of an incremental benefit that might be. It might be very minimal, it might be more significant, but the main thing is, of course, that if you're not boosted at all, you're actually putting yourself at higher risk because, you know, we've had five to 10 deaths a day in Alberta for the summer from COVID-19 still, and um, most days anyway, and the same thing across the country. So there's still this stream of people who can get significantly ill and, you know, not optimizing your protection right now when classically the whole fall situation of school back in and everyone indoors again and a lot of workplaces are going back in will mean that there's going to be a you know significantly increased risk of transmission so you know any booster no matter when your province is rolling out is going to be important if you're in a situation where you're seeing people around you like in your network falling ill already it would be immensely important to get whatever is available because we know that it will provide additional protection and frankly, even if you're averting a nuisance um, illness versus averting a, a life-threatening uh, illness, it's still worth it because, frankly, being sick is very unpleasant and you don't really want to put others at risk. Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of FrontBurner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I, I want to start talking about uh, the fact that the, uh, the booster that was approved, the new bivalent booster that was approved in Canada is different from the approach that, that they're using in the United States where they're actually going after a more recent subvariant. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded that Pfizer has submitted an application to Health Canada uh, for approval of its BA4 and BA5 vaccines, and Moderna is expected to, to do so soon. If these are the current subvariants that are circulating, that are making people sick right now, wouldn't it be better to wait for this even newer vaccine? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean... If you look at the, like we're running on antibody data and we already know that there's a significant real world benefit to boosters. And we know that there is a significant boost to antibody levels with the BA1 vaccine against all Omicron strains. And so the waiting game I think becomes a bit problematic um, because you, you might end up waiting through a period of enhanced risk and becoming ill in the meantime. The other question I think that people might be thinking about is the timing between the doses and and it may well be that if, you know, if you take the Omicron booster that's currently available, if the season, we don't know what's going to happen with the season. Like, I don't think we can assume it's going to be like a flu season. We, we don't really know. And we don't even know how severe it's going to be. But if it turns into a longer and more severe situation where we're continually seeing people's risk is, is elevated of severe infection as an outcome, that uh, it might be possible to then have the next booster with a new one. But I don't think waiting, um, like right now, I think it's become clear that, you know, the new one is available quite soon. Fall is getting back in. We're starting to see more outbreaks. Um, I think the numbers are likely to start rising. We don't know how severely. I think waiting becomes more of a risk the longer you wait. But you also have to pay attention to what public health is saying in your area and pay attention to what the numbers and the experience is like in your area and to your own personal risk. So 
I would not really be counseling risk for someone who has multiple medical conditions and is over the age of 50, 60, 65, because I think that their risk of hospitalization is markedly higher. Um, and it was that way off through the entire Omicron wave. And that group also has had the lowest infection rate, like the older group has had the lowest natural infection rate. So I, I think waiting would be riskier in that scenario. So it becomes a very challenging discussion where, you know, you make the best decision you can at the time and you don't know if it was right or not, but it was the best decision you could make. I want to look at the, you know, how long you wait from a, a slightly different angle. Like a lot of people, I've already gotten my fourth dose, my second booster. What's the earliest day that the authorities are telling me I'm supposed to uh, roll up my sleeve for the bivalent booster? I think that, well, we're going to have the usual provincial um probably slightly different guidelines across the board, but the theme will likely be um, three months if you're at higher risk and six months if you're at kind of more standard risk. And the higher risk will be determined by the individual, like your own medical risks and your own contacts and your own exposure patterns, and also determined by like the risk of where you live and what's going on in your area. So, you know, places that had massive Omicron surges might have a little bit less circulation, who knows. So that three to six month range is where you're going to see most of the most of the guidance lying. And the I think I've seen a bit of anxiety from people about, you know, I've had my fourth dose and they're feeling like they've kind of been ripped off because they they got it when it came out, um, thinking that that was the best thing to do. And now they might not be eligible to get the the Omicron tuned vaccine until a little bit later. I think that that's actually okay. Um, The reason that we don't want to boost people too close to either infection or vaccination is because there's pretty clear and, you know, very um, consistent immunologic data that boosting too early while you have a high antibody level, you actually blunt your response to the vaccine. So you're kind of partially wasting that dose of vaccine because you're already well protected. Your B cells don't respond to the vaccine as well. Um, in a simplified way, you might imagine that the vaccine response is actually kind of um, blunted because your antibodies are blocking the vaccine, if that makes sense. And um, so there, there's really been all along a very clear indication that even between dose one and dose two, there was a much better response to dose two and much you know, longer lived protection if you got dose two three months or more away. So the dose two delay that was so controversial also you know, proved to be very useful. So more is not necessarily better. Faster is not necessarily better with vaccines. You want to do it kind of to get the best response you can for the longest time and minimize the time that you're unprotected. So I think that that kind of data is still emerging fairly quickly. So there might be a little bit of, you know, I guess more specific recommendations coming forward. But at the moment, to me, I, I think even three months might be a little fast. Four months seems like it would be pretty reasonable. And if you're standard risk, otherwise extremely healthy, waiting a little bit longer out to six months is also quite reasonable. And when you look at what other countries have done, that's very much what you'll see in places like the UK as well. And uh, Lenora, what you've just talked about in terms of recommendations, uh, you know, there's certainly uh, authorities in Canada who have hewed to those recommendations. The National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI, recommends uh, waiting at least six months between your last booster and the new one. Um, But I wanted to, you know, we have some uh, listeners, we have some subscribers from the United States, and in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration and most health institutions are saying two months is an adequate wait time uh, to get that booster. So what do you make of that discrepancy? 
I guess I, I would have to say that this is the kind of thing that happens when you have data um, of different types being interpreted by different groups. And so how you weight different streams of data and different risks really will play into recommendations when things are you know moving as they do in, in COVID-19. Um, I, I mean, I've been one of the people who kind of looks to the immunologic data um, a lot more heavily, um, but perhaps they're more weighing the risk of, you know, people not getting vaccinated in time for a fall surge. Um, in a way, I almost think that the timing thing is getting kind of stuck in the weeds because the main thing is making sure people understand that genuinely they should be getting a booster this fall. Um, mostly because a lot of people, you know, the ones I've seen in hospital anyway, kind of had this two doses were done kind of message that came forward you know, that's, that was the message that came forward fairly early. And they haven't been paying as much attention and don't realize how much that protection has waned. And so uh, I think getting too mired in the weeds might actually just be confusing. But, you know, as a rule of thumb, if you were infected uh, in the last three to six months, you probably do have some residual protection from infection as well. That would be a very good boost. And um, optimizing your booster to more the three to six months, maybe more towards the four to six month end after infection also looks like it makes immunologic sense based on what we know right now. So for folks listening who are now eligible for the new booster or will be in the coming weeks who might be asking, do I really need this? What advice would you offer? Yes, you need it. Um, when you line up to get it might depend on your own risk in your own setting and when you last had a booster and when you last had infection. So if you put booster and infection together, and it was within the last three to six months, I think that there's more more time considerations that you might not have to be the first to rush up in line because you want to optimize your response. And, you know, at some basic level, I think timing your maximum antibody level to the maximum risk period makes sense. There's always some risk of, of waiting too long for such things. But, you know, at the moment, we're probably in a phase of kind of pre-risk building in a lot of places. So the people who should be lining up first would be older people, people who have medical conditions that put them at higher risk, and people who have not seen either virus or infection in the last six months. Those are absolutely the easy ones because they're the ones who should really be highlighted to go first. For everyone else, it, it becomes uh, a little bit of individual decision-making, which I know always causes problems. But if people don't want to go through individual decision-making, just plan on getting it in the fall, and you probably can even get it with your flu shot. So I think most provinces are going to be supporting people getting both at the same time. So you go through this sore arm Tylenol day, um, which seems to be fairly common, um, all at the same time. So it's kind of efficient, actually. Dr. Lenora Saxinger, thanks once again for uh, explaining things so eloquently and so simply. My pleasure. That was Dr. Lenora Saxinger, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Alberta. Here's your dose of smart advice. Moderna's new bivalent vaccine booster is targeted to protect against the Omicron BA1 strain. It may not prevent you from getting infected by the more recent BA4 and BA5 subvariants, but it will likely help keep you out of hospital should you get infected. That's especially true for those who have already been infected with Omicron. If you've already received a first or second dose of the previous booster in the last three to six months, relax. You should already have strong protection against the most severe complications of COVID. In Canada, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization recommends that COVID booster doses may be offered six months after a previous COVID vaccine dose or COVID infection, regardless of the previous vaccine. 
It goes on to say that it may be warranted to get one after at least three months if there's heightened epidemiologic risks, say, from a new wave of COVID. You should be aware that in the U.S., they're saying you can get the new booster as little as two months following your previous booster. We'll be keeping a close eye on that discrepancy. People who are at higher risk of complications from COVID, including those with complex health conditions who are immunocompromised or who are elderly, should consider getting the new booster three months after the previous dose. If you've completed your first two doses of a COVID vaccine but haven't received any booster shots, this is an ideal moment to get a booster dose of the Omicron-specific bivalent vaccine. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions you'd like answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Jason Vermesh. Technical support was by Laud Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.